0: last week of Kai July 2023, and we're going to kick off episode 629 with a look at a movie that's um a little weird, a little off the beaten path. We're going to take a look at a movie called Space Monster Wang mogui over here on Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I've had a blast digging into kaiju films this month. And I'm not saying that we're only going to do kaiju films in July. We'll talk about kaiju films off and on throughout the year, but I think Kaiju July is going to become a regular thing here on the show where we focus on kaiju films and become Kaiju Kid Radio for four glorious giant monster-sized weeks. It's been a blast. And this week, this week's movie Oh, boy. You know, we're going to talk about that here in a second. But first, I want to tell you that the song you're listening to right now is from the band Surfasaurus. It is from their new album, Dynamite. It's the song Space Surfin'. You can find them at Surfosaurus.bandcamp.com. Of course, they give us permission to play their music here on the show. Check them out when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. All right, so this week's episode, Space Monster Wang Magui, Probably mispronouncing that I apologize if that's the case But I'm not going to mispronounce the name of this week's guest Because well, I asked him off air how to pronounce his name So, it's Roger Castle Roger Castle is a newcomer to Monster Kid Radio In terms of being a guest But he's been listening to the show for quite some time And we're going to talk with him about this movie And of course, it would not be an episode of Monster Kid Radio Without Mark Maskey's Beta Capsule Review And Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. So that's coming up here shortly. Before we get into all of that though, just want to throw something out there to the listeners who have some time and ability and interest in maybe helping Monster Kid Radio out with something online. I don't know if you knew this, but the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, allows you to list podcasts now. You can actually look up Monster Kid Radio over at imdb.com and i've added a number of episodes but not nearly well (laughs) there's a lot of episodes of monster kid radio so i haven't listed very many but i've listed quite a few if you are so inclined and want to help monster kid radio out please hop on over to the internet movie database and maybe help us out by listing some of the episodes if you're going to do this please look at some of the other listed episodes of Monster Kid Radio so you can kind of see the format we're going with. They are very particular in terms of how they list their content over at the IMDb, and I want to keep everything as consistent as possible. So if you're interested, we have the time. You do not need a pro account to list things on the Internet Movie Database. You can make suggestions. You can add titles. You can submit submissions to the IMDb for free if you have the time and the energy to do so. I'd really appreciate any assistance you can give us in our endeavor in getting every single episode of Monster Kid Radio listed on the IMDB. You know, if you do this, maybe drop me a line, let me know that you did it, and I'll give you a shout-out here on the show. It'd be really helpful. Okay, let's go ahead and give Surfosaurus a break. Let's go ahead and get into the rest of the episode right now.
1: The Smog Monster, spewing its poisonous venom over the Earth. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla. See Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Two monsters battling for the domination of the Earth. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. An American International Pictures release in color rated G. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. The battle for life on Earth. in spots of a great city for the last desperate refuge of millions underground. The incredible, monstrous H-Man strikes terror to every heart, disintegrates everyone it touches. It kills, but can't be killed. The most incredible man you never saw. Deadly byproduct of the H-bomb blasts. Dooming mankind to oblivion. We are facing a situation which cannot be minimized. Complete extermination.
2: Did you start yet?
1: Yes. Masada went into the sewer. Where? Right there. See a great city fight back. Commence operations. To stop the deadliest killer the world has yet encountered.
2: Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes. It's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 22. Leave this monster to me. Original air date September 3rd, 1971. A clown suit wearing handbill distributor wanders into a mammoth garbage dump and goes missing after witnessing a monster rise up from the trash. That same day, by order of the Ministry of Terrestrial Defense, Captain Kato is transferred to the Monster Attack Team space station. As the team awaits the arrival of their new senior, Captain Ibuki, word spreads of the MAT office in New York dealing with their own garbage dump situation. In an interesting twist of fate, Jiro and his pal Frank, Aki and Go dressed in plastic buckets and hiding among garbage cans. The boys claim to have found the buckets with pre-drilled armholes, prompting Go to ask Jiro to lead him to the landfill where they were found. The landfill worker they meet volunteers the information that plastic had been depleted in the dump, as if stolen by thieves. The MAT lab determines that a plastic-eating virus is present at the site, Meanwhile, explosions rock the landfill, and Go, in an unauthorized move, takes an MAT gyro to fight the fires. Having extinguished the blaze, Go returns to base while MAT receives a direct command from Captain Ibuki to drop a missile on the dump instead of using fire extinguishing fluids. It is, of course, too late, and the captain grounds Go for three days ordering the rest of the team into combat at the landfill. Kaiju Go Kinizura emerges completely from the mountain of garbage, and MAT minus Go flies to the scene. The monster overwhelms them and Go must decide whether to obey orders or attempt to save his friends. Opening on a somewhat surreal note, episode 22 is a transitional moment for the world of Ultraman marking the first time that a captain has departed mid-series, and the writers take full advantage of the dramatic possibilities. Captain Kado had become a kind of father figure to go, but in his absence, the young hero reverts to his headstrong ways. Captain Ibuki's authority is immediately tested, and the final scene reveals the kind of leader MAT has received. Given the setting, and direct references to Tokyo's pollution problem in the script, it's worth noting that Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster came out just over a month before this episode was broadcast, in late July of 1971. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting.
1: monster gorilla that's constantly growing to outlandish proportions loose in the streets conga born of a scientist's dreams bred on a madman's nightmares brought out of the jungle and turned into a wild beast beyond man's understanding i am your master and you must obey me now you no longer have Starring Michael Goff as Dr. Decker who stole the jungle secrets of sorcery to distill Satan's black magic in his own laboratory. Margot Johns as the girl who becomes an accessory to murder with Claire Gordon as the young student. Trapped with a madman in a nightmare world of fear, jealousy and passion. Let me go! Sandra, you know I love you! The jungle scene of colour, excitement and spectacle is thrillingly mixed with the close mystery of strange insectivorous and carnivorous plants. See them. Fear them. And feel the anger and the anguish of Jess Conrad in a picture charged with powerful emotion. Conga, the most fantastic beast of all time. Not since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury and spectacle. In the new process of spectamation and Eastman color, he grows in size and terror before your eyes. In a film that fills the screen with giant entertainment. It's a piece of skin, like leather. From all corners of the earth, they gather to study the mystifying frozen fossil, a reptilian tail that grows into a giant of terror. It's alive! It's loose! You have been invited here to see for yourselves one of the most amazing events in the annals of scientific history. Apthilagus, a monstrous, massive beast whose astounding appearance causes panic. Apthilagus approaching the city. Repeat, Apthilagus approaching the city. This is Grayson. All units, An annihilating mastodon, immune to all known weapons of warfare, creating chaos such as mankind has never
3: before known. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. For me, kaiju films are always Japanese. I know many others group any giant rubber monster attacking a city into kaiju no matter where it is from. Today, we are looking at a Korean kaiju. So I thought I would share FM's coverage of one of the most kaiju-y, non-Japanese monster movies, England's Gorgo. This beast graced the cover of FM11 from April of 1961. Inside, we find a seven-page article with nine photos. Let's hear some highlights. The article starts with this quote from the book Prehistoric Animals, by Czechoslovakian paleontologist J. Augusta. The Earth, which is said to be a speck of dust in the infinite space of the universe, and an obedient planet ceaselessly circles around the sun, is the cradle and grave of all the creation whose life is tied to it. From the time that life first appeared on the Earth, birth, development, old age, and death follow upon each other in a never broken succession. Most people think of prehistoric animals in terms of the strange skeletons we see in our museums. But, of course, they once inhabited our Earth, living out their lives in an environment as different from ours as they were themselves different from the animals we know today. The gigantic Gorgosaurus liberatus was a carnivorous saurian that lived during the Upper Cretaceous. It rather resembled Tyrannosaurus rex, the king of the dinosaurs. It was a savage Colossus. A synopsis comes next. Here is how it described Gorgo's first appearance. Carson Bingham, in the pocketbook he has written about the King Brothers production, tells graphically of the moments of horror when Gorgo is first glimpsed. In the author's own words, The sea lifted up under the flickering procession of funeral boats, and a form that was neither water nor earth nor human reared into the air. Rooted to the spot, I stared at what seemed to be a huge, massive shape writhing out of the water. I could see the outline of a huge body, some twenty feet high. My God, I cried, it's huge, as big as a house! And so it is. Waked from an age's long sleep by the underwater explosion, the Gorgosaurus has surfaced in a strange new world, a world where frightened, shouting men shoot at it, but the rifle bullets bounce from Gorgo's tough hide like ping-pong balls. Only fire affects Gorgo, and when Ryan and Slade lead the men in throwing burning brands at the incredible beast, with an angry flick of its long, prehensile tail, it turns back to the sea and disappears beneath the waves. The synopsis continues, revealing the surprise ending. The article concludes with these brief production notes. Gorgo is the most costly, time-consuming production the King Brothers have made to date, and 38 productions have rolled off their slate. The picture introduces the new process known as auto-motion, which makes the movements of the star, Gorgo, extremely lifelike. If you like excitement and suspense with your movie monsters, we recommend Gorgo. That is all for this week's look at famous monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
1: that trend is about ten times the size of a normal man. What happens to our world if massive, monstrous man-beasts like this invade us? Flown a captive to a west coast metropolis in an army cargo plane, his arrival catapults the whole city into an ocean of fear. For this colossal beast is at war with the world, our world, A world his savage instincts can only hate. An airlift is being set up and food will be parachuted down to him. He'll be supplied with everything he needs. Get all the aircraft into the air at once.
2: The colossal man is loose in Los Angeles. Look! Look at the
1: giant! Oh, it's the civilized world in blood freezing horror as the immeasurable power of this colossal beast threatens a war of brutality such as we've never known. Don't oh, let go!
0: I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited, and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited monster kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. All right, listeners, we're going to end Kai July with a look at a really um, interesting, bizarre, comedic, maybe at one point it was lost film. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Courtesy of a company called SRS Cinema. SRS Cinema is a boutique label that releases a lot of independent, bizarre, cult, little-known movies. And they've been doing a lot of stuff in the kaiju space. And last year, they released this title. And a listener of the show brought it to my attention, sent a copy to Monster Kid Radio, and I thought, you know what? If he's going to send us a copy of this movie, we got to have him on the show to talk about the movie. So I'd like to welcome to the show first-time guest Roger Castle. How you doing, man? Hi.
4: Thank you, Derek. This is amazing. I have listened to every single episode of MKR. Started with, I think, a Planet of the Apes episode because I just watched all of the uh, Apes movies again, all the Classic Five, and I wanted to talk to somebody about them. And unfortunately, at the time, I have very few friends who are into retro cinema like I am. And I was trying to find podcasts and I found MKR talking about it. And I immediately went back and listened from show number one, and I am still listening. So. I've been a fan for a long time. Appreciate it. You and a lot of your regular guests are kind of an extended family or extended friends. Uh, So I appreciate you having me on here today.
0: Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Monster Kid Radio family, so to speak. Welcome to uh, the ever-growing list of Monster Kid Radio irregulars. Uh (laughs) (laughs) My wife would agree with you on the irregular part. Oh, no. (laughs) No. No worries, Lou. Uh I was you know, as listeners know, I recently was married and as I've been slowly unpacking everything after moving into the house here with my wife and her family, it's still an ongoing project. But just the other day, I finally opened up the last box of DVDs and Blu-rays and finally found, I didn't know where they ended up, my collection of the Planet of the Apes Blu-rays. So now I have them in I've been thinking. Out, I pulled them out. and was like, I, I need to rewatch these. And you just brought it up, it's like, well, oh, now I just, I really do need to go back and rewatch them because it's been a while. And I do love those flicks. I try and do that
4: about once every two or three years. Go through the entire series of them. And unfortunately, as they've added more, I, I have to add every single one now. Not just the original five, but I have to add the three. Sometimes even the TV show and cartoon series in my in my marathon. So. Uh, it becomes a, a not a chore. It's not a chore if you're doing something that you love, but it becomes like a month-long effort now whenever I want to revisit Planet of the Apes.
0: You know, we never did talk about the cartoon or the TV show here on the podcast. It's something that Scott and I talked about doing, uh, but it's been a few years now, so may- maybe I need to give him a call when we're done here and set up a time to talk about the TV show and the cartoon here on the show and, and close out the Planet of the Apes loop here on Monster Kid Radio at some point. But that's not what we're here talking about. We're, we're talking no, about kaiju no, no. films. I mean, I suppose if we kind of squint a little bit, we can maybe find some connections between Planet of the Apes and you know the stuff that uh, Daae was doing with their ape stuff. It, it doesn't matter. I'm going down a rabbit hole. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about this really weird movie.
4: Face <laughs> monster Wong Magui, I think is how you say it.
0: Yeah, uh, I actually went looking for a couple of different pronunciations of this, and that's as close as I think we're going to get. Caveat, put this out there to everybody. Neither Roger nor I are Korean. We will probably mispronounce some names. My apologies. I have no doubt. In fact, I will probably
4: get tongue-tied saying Long Mogwi." If we do, if I do mispronounce uh, any names, uh, no ill intent is intended out loud. Absolutely not.
0: And I always joke whenever I have a guest on, whenever we talk about, especially a film from Japan, China, Korea, that I'm relying on the guest to pronounce all the names. That's really, I I don't expect you to be able to get these any better than I can. (laughs) Well, I
4: I did listen to the commentary and I do uh, pronounce some of the names. However, I failed to write down (laughs) the pronunciation. So uh, I, I can remember from the commentary how to pronounce some of these, but I will do
0: my best. Fair enough. That's all we can do. So this movie came out in 1967 and a lot of places reported this movie as a lost film. But I'm also finding other information that it wasn't technically lost, it was just kind of held up. That it was kind of
4: held behind the, I'm the, the curtain, but held behind the South Korean curtain, so to speak. They didn't allow it to be licensed for whatever reason. Part of it may have been because they were sued by the people who made Youngeruk? That's an interesting story in itself. I wish we knew more about that, um, but that's just part of the information that I looked at in trying to research this movie. As we talked about before you recorded, we there really isn't a whole lot of research to be done on this because there's not much out there. Just because it was lost, while Bob lost for so long, and it's not lost like you said. It's not lost per se, like London After Midnight, or even the Korean dub version or the Korean version of Youngeruk. It's not. Missing, as in Dardo film elements, they just kind of kept it in a
0: vault for a long time. However, they made it happen. Ron Bonk and the people at SRS Cinema finally was able to license it and get it out onto Blu-ray. And I was shocked when I first started watching this, and I just watched it again last night with my wife. I was shocked at how clean some of these film elements look. Some of the film transfer is really good. I don't know if they
4: went through and restored it or if they just kept these in a pristine environment there in the Korean film archive. I have no clue, but it does look great. There are some issues. Uh, there are some film damage visible in some certain areas. Uh, there are some weird edits sometimes, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that was just the editing itself or because of film damage, but yeah, there are parts of this. that are extremely clear, even clearer than other things that have been well-preserved
0: in America. The opening titles are a little scratchy, and there's, you can see the film jitter. But once we get past the titles and we're with the Gamma Aliens, I'm watching it on the television here in our living room, which is a really nice TV. And it looked really clean. And I thought for a second, wait a minute. This is a modern movie that they're pretending was in the 60s. That's how clean some of those shots look. Now, it's not. It clearly is from 1967. But the, the shots, the, the images were so sharp like you said there are some moments where it's less about film damage and more about some weird cuts or maybe like a film snapped somewhere and they had to re-edit it back together there's one shot that lasts maybe one or two frames of the monster walking down the street and then it just cuts and i think that again that's either a film edit issue or maybe a real change issue or something along those lines
4: right i think there is one section where it shows some of the uh the, the crowd uh kind of panicking and there were some uh, film damage there where it showed some lines and some maybe some water damage. I don't know, but it did, it did appear damaged. But overall, the film itself looks well, it's amazing for its age and for the budget. And Yeah. Uh, you know, one interesting thing about watching these, these foreign movies is that if you don't know the culture, sometimes some of the subject matter kind of goes over your head or you don't fully understand what they're trying to get at. And I first watched this several months ago. I didn't look into it. I didn't know much about Korean history. Uh, but as I was watching it, it does kind of go back and forth between serious uh, cradled stomping, <laughs> you know, panic, fear. Yeah. And then outright goofiness. There is no segue. It's just monster sipping on a guy, then someone pooping in a building. <laughs> Which we'll get to. Yeah. We'll get to. <laughs> I'll probably... Spoiler alert, there is (laughs) public emergency pooping. (laughs) Yeah, that does happen. Uh, uh, But I did a little research into just the history of South Korea during this time. And uh, the film elements look amazing considering the state of the country at that time. Uh, This is a very low budget film. South Korea was very poor. They were still in the recovery stage of the Korean War. They were doing better financially, economically, but there were still lots of issues. The country was trying to catch up. The country really wanted to be on the forefront of science and, and, and things like that, but they just weren't quite there yet. Now, of course, things have changed quite a bit since then. The budgets, see, when I first saw this, I didn't know what year it came out. I went into this completely cult, except for a few little things I read here and there. I thought this was made in 1957 rather than 67, because when you look at this movie, it doesn't look like 67. If you compare it to other movies that you've seen that have come out in 67, to me, it didn't look like it was 1967, modern day, Then, And I think part of that was because some of the vehicles, some of the the dress, some of the, the buildings, it looked older than what it actually was. And that may have been because... Of uh, the financial issues, the economic issues that Korea was having, kind of like Cuba when they had uh, all of the, uh, uh, you know, embargoes and so forth uh, against Cuba, you know, you can still see 1957 Chevys on the streets in Cuba because that's all they had, that's all they can get. And I'm thinking a lot of this looks older, maybe because Korea was still in a financial crisis, so to speak, so they
0: things
2: still looked retro. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And we had the same issue. We were watching it last night and my, I, I didn't tell anything to my wife about this movie at all. She went into it cold. I told her it was Korean. It was from the 60s and it was kind of rare. That, that's about it. So she was completely cold going into it last night. There were a couple of chuckles when some of the uh, very low budget effects with the rocket ship flying around out you know in outer space. But even that felt very 1950s, as opposed to something from the late 60s. Absolutely. And and she brought up a really good, interesting point, too. This is 1967. We had Star Trek on TV at that point, right? And the the look of outer space travel looks so different in American genre television and film. But this is this very retro 1950s looking, even maybe before that looking... Uh, science fiction space travel, the spacesuits, suits, the way the spaceship looked, the way the rocket with the one candle flame basically out of the back of it flying throughout outer space looked, very retro. And then you get to the planet and you see everything happening on Earth, and you've got this weird mix of holdover American culture from when we were yep. over there doing stuff. There's an American flag in the military scenes. The way the bedroom is built, it's very clearly in a Korean bedroom, but... The way the bed is positioned and arranged with the mattress being exposed, it's, it's got some Americanisms kind of in there as well. Her wedding dress is this mix of Korean and American styling. But again, it's this kind of retro for the time. And I find that fascinating. I talk about this all the time on the show, that these older movies, yeah, it's a monster movie, great. I meant it for the monster, but you really look behind everything and, and what's happening in the background and you see what the society was dealing with in the documentary elements of it. And, and I loved that. We love this movie for that, too. I don't know if it was a budgetary thing or what, but I kind of really respond well to that retro vibe.
4: Oh, I did, too. And it also makes it a, a little bit timeless. It, yeah. Uh, a picture in time. You know, it doesn't date itself. I mean, it does because of uh, what, it, what it is, what it shows. But... The fact that it is not in any particular set time the weird thing is watching the documentary i didn't notice this from watching the movie but watching the documentary they talked about how one of the signs the big wooden signs going across the street says 1990. yes and they were talking about how they weren't sure if that was because they wanted seoul or south korea to be a leader in this it was advertising some kind of conference in 1990 that either they wanted to be at the forefront of technology and science by 1990 or if this was supposed to be a futuristic movie. It's a
0: weird mystery. When that appeared on screen uh with the 1990, my wife commented on that too. It's like, wait a minute, when did this movie come out? Like, no, it's, it's from the 60s. And yeah, that's, I don't know if it was like a weird, like World Fair kind of thing. I, I don't know. But... It does have this timeless quality because it's got all the retro, not just retro in terms of calling back to one particular era, because the mother of the bride has a very traditional dress. Mm -hmm. And then we have the bride herself in that kind of 60s with the pillbox hairstyle, the whole bit. I dug it. I dug that uh, even before the monster showed up. And I don't know, before we get too far into it, I know we don't do like a beat by beat plot breakdown on the show very often, but just because this is such a, a weird one. a lot of people might not know about and i will have played the spoiler warning and it is available on tubi tv so if you don't have the blu-ray you can watch it on tubi tv there's a group of aliens that want to take over the earth their idea is let's throw a monster down there let them wreak havoc and then we're going to come in and take it over and the plan makes no sense but whatever and they also apparently
4: Uh, know about Seoul in Korea, because they say, let's put them down in Korea uh, during this typhoon. I think they even call the typhoon by a certain name. Like, yeah, aliens just arrive out of nowhere, but they know where Korea is, and they know there's a typhoon bill out there (laughs) about uh, Seoul, Korea here very soon. So it's kind of weird, but uh, still endearing. The
0: the monster is, you know, we don't really have anything for scale, but I'm assuming just human-sized, man-sized. Yeah, and their thought is we're going to throw it down into the earth, and because of how science works with the air pressure, it's going to expand and grow to giant sized. Oh,
4: there's so much sci-fi science in this. It's it's
0: great. I I don't think that's how science and air pressure works.
4: Well, I'm looking at my notes here. Yeah, there's something about the air pressure and and radiation or something like that. It was it was so sci-fi. So, so goofy it was wonderful though I
0: oh I, I loved it I've, I've never seen that as a way to do it I guess I okay but i loved it though because it has.
4: Have... there are so many things in this movie even though a slow budget parts of our derivative there are so many things though, you never see in any other movie
0: this is true this is true and and I'm gonna stop talking about my wife my wife my wife but uh i, I do want to say one last saying while we're watching it this is how I know that I married the right woman. She looks at me and she says, That's not going to work. We know that's not going to work because we watched the amazing colossal man. When you get too big, it's like, Oh, honey, I love you so much. <laughs> um,
4: the thing is, when he's in the, the, the creature's in the spaceship, I guess we should maybe talk a little bit about that. He's normal sized in the spaceship. They take him out, they put him behind what looks like a shower curtain, and they flush him out to Earth. And the science is he does expand to where he's 400 feet tall. He goes from normal six foot tall to 400 feet tall when he hits the earth. And of course, they're saying that, well, he can wreak, wreak havoc by eating all the people. He can eat all the humans. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll just duke the place. <laughs> Which is all or nothing, I guess. Yeah. But once they... I won't say flushing down the earth again. It sounds it's not <laughs>
0: that's not quite accurate. It's what it looks like though, and yeah. really for this movie,
4: <laughs> it kind of goes along with the uh, some of the scatological nature of this movie. Uh, I, I will say this may be the most scatological episode of Ukear. <laughs> it really is. Uh, some of the things we just absolutely have to talk about, even though they make no sense within the frame of the movie. There are some things that happen in this that are just weird. The best word to describe this movie is absurd yeah anyway i'm kind of going off on tangents i apologize
0: uh no no it's well that's what this movie really is though It, it kind of goes off on some weird tangents here and there we have this bit with this uh commander in the republic of korea air force who is going to get married it's sometime in the winter it's Maybe even January, I think Beth said that she saw a calendar on a wall and said it was like yeah. the first of the year or whatever, which is also supposed to be a very lucky time to get married in right. certain cultures over there, that sort of thing. And you can tell they're actually shooting during that time because there are some scenes inside the house where you can actually see the actor's breath as they're talking. Yeah. So you, you yeah. know it's, it's bone cold where they're shooting. I'm not sure why, but whatever. There's a wedding about to happen, but then the monster shows up. So all the military get recalled. And that announcement's made over public radio. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, of course, the wedding is off. And part of the story is the bride who is kind of in denial about the whole thing and doesn't want to evacuate. And her mother and hairdresser for some reason uh, stayed behind. (laughs) The city is about to be attacked by a 400-foot monster. And she is so worried that the wedding's going to be canceled. Right. (laughs) Right. So it's her story, and they're running through, and the the crowd's all panicked, and some places reported that this movie actually had the world record for the number of extras on screen. It is not really the record holder, but it's pretty darn close from what I understand. And they're running around, and they're doing their thing, and then suddenly we cut to two guys who love gambling on stuff.
4: Yeah, uh, whoever runs first, whoever is the first chicken, uh, one guy either gets money, the guy bets his money, or... If the other guy wins, he gets the other guy's wife.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, And they spent a lot of time really hashing that out. And that that's where some of the pacing for this movie did kind of stumble for me a little bit. They spent a lot of time with that. But again, I don't know much about Korean cinema at this time. I don't know if these guys were Korean comedy stars and they were kind of giving them a little bit of Abbott and Costello moment. I'm not sure what was going on there. Did, did you find anything out
4: yes uh these two guys everyone describes them as kind of laurel and hardy of this movie uh which is the best way to describe them i guess they're like a comedy team but they didn't really act in much i don't think together except for this they both uh had lots and lots of credits outside of this one of the guys had been in roughly 30 films uh, maybe even more than that uh the other guy uh, the, the hat guy, the guy who wears the hat, was in 400 movie roles. Wow. And apparently, uh, in the little bit I've learned, uh, South Korea, in trying to reach normalcy after the war, they just put out movie after movie after movie and TV shows and stuff like that. And they would make, certain actors would make three or four films a month. Uh, the lead actor of, of this, which I guess we can go back and talk about those later on. The actual names and the actors involved, but he was in hundreds of films himself in a career that spanned 30 years. The guy wearing the hat in, of this duo, uh, he was in the movie, like I said, 400 movies. The other guy, um, 80 films, but he was a show host for like a, a America's Got Talent or The Voice or something like that. Okay. For a really long time. And he just died last year from uh, what the commentary said. He died in August of 2022, I think is what they said. A lot of people in this movie, uh, well, it goes both ways. Either certain actors were in a ton of stuff, or they were in it for three or four years and they bowed out. Okay. Uh, the Bride, Aunt He, I think is her name. She was in films. She was in 10 films in about four years, then ducked out of any more film work, the kid who plays the street urchin, everyone calls him Squirrel, but I think he really names him in the movie. He was only in 11 films and was in the business for four years. A lot of other people were in the business for years and years and years. And, uh, the main actor, who plays the major of the air force, like I said, 400 films. Wow. Now John Carradine wasn't in that many films, I don't believe. That's crazy. I wish I knew more about the history, but there's just not a whole lot that's available to read about the film history of South Korea. I know that sounds kind of weird. Why would you want to read about that? But this kind of thing, uh, the fact that it was kind of isolated away from everybody, this film, like, might was isolated away. All these films are out there that these people made, but yet no one talks about them. I couldn't even tell you why any of them were about or what they were called. The tons of stuff that was made that no one's even seen that lives outside of Korea.
0: It's fascinating to me, and I would love to just get my hands on just a list of, of the various Korean film titles that exist there or, or locked up in an archive somewhere, just to know. Because filmmaking is such an American art. I, I know that it sounds very American centric and all that. The rest of the world has adopted as well, sure, but you know the film industry is is very much an American art form and to see how other countries have adopted that and made it their own, it's one of the things that I love about doing the show is when I stumble across something that came out of Italy or Mexico or other parts of the world, you know, the kaiju films of Japan, I love learning about that stuff. And I feel like there's just so much out there in the Korean film culture that I know very little about. So just to give this little glimpse with this film, it has been just really enjoyable. It has been. I don't remember
4: if you mentioned this at the beginning or not, but this is the first feature-link monster movie that South Korea made, period. Yeah. This was made before Yonguri, maybe maybe in tandem with Yongari, but this one came out first. And I think I mentioned, too, that the, the producers of Yongari sued the producers of this movie for trying to copy their ideas. Huh. And I, I don't know. There's not much out there about that, so I don't know if they withheld the movie from further release which is why it's been quote lost or if there are other reasons
0: i don't see a lot of similarities between the two i mean i, I guess you know giant monster and a little kid's involved but i don't i don't know
4: i don't know i think it's they, they stole their premise giant monster <laughs> yeah you, you can't quite copyrighted giant monster so I, I i don't know what the course of south korea were at the time i don't know if they won or lost, I have no clue. There's that much information on that, it, but it's still interesting. I...
0: Yeah. So we've got this this comedy moment that goes on for a little long for my taste, but it's there. And at that point, it felt like maybe the filmmakers didn't know what kind of movie they were trying to make. Because it starts out, yeah, it's a little silly, and, and I hate to use the word, but corny, but it still felt like a science fiction giant monster movie. And then we... St- we slam cut <laughs> to this comedy moment and it felt like maybe they didn't know. Did they want to make a serious movie? Did they want to go comedy? No, that's just the tone of the entire movie. Just kind of this back and forth whiplash kind of effect, which works by the time it's over. You're like, Oh, okay, I get it. And it makes sense. And it's consistent and it's back and forth. But when that first happened, I kind of felt like, Oh, what just happened? Right. <laughs> <Were> I- <laughs> and suddenly changed gears. I don't know.
4: <laughs> and, and then, both the, the guys who they're arguing about or betting who runs first, well, they both were at the same time when the monster shows up yeah. and all the crowd runs by and you mentioned it's supposed to hold a world, world record for 157,000 ek- extras. I have no idea where they are because you've never seen more than 50 people at one time, <laughs> somebody accurate that is. But these two guys go back to one of the guy's apartments where his wife is. And they have an argument. So this is the Wi-Fi one. And <laughs> they argue. And then the monster attacks their apartment building. And the, the building is falling apart. And they're still talking about this bet. And who gets who and who gets what.
0: And the wives sit on it now too. And she says, okay, new husband. Save me, new husband. Like, oh no.
4: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which kind of probably goes back to some of the, the gender roles of South Korea yeah. in Yeah,
0: You mentioned the extra so again. And... Yeah. I don't know where all the extras were either because there were a lot, but not that many. There were a couple of shots too in particular where it feels like the extras were just told to walk back and forth. There's a couple of times where I swear they're looking at the camera. Uh, They don't have that panic look on their face that like the lead actor does. They're just kind of like milling about and it's like, there's a giant monster coming. Give, Give me something. Give me more, you know? So
4: well, the odd thing is when they flush the monster down to earth, everyone talks about the monster, but the monster isn't shown for several minutes. Mm-hmm. It's on the news. People are talking about it. The, the bride and the mom are talking about it. It is like they're talking about the monster in a narrative, but they didn't have the budget to showing or the script wasn't well written or the editing wasn't quite right, but they talk about all these things the monster is doing but they don't show him for about 10 more minutes. Yeah. When the the monster does finally show up and he shows up between those two hills and he knocks the boulders and he's stepping on cars. And here's where the Foley, the budget, <laughs> the budget for the Foley kind of shows its true nature in that uh, you see these tremendous boulders hitting the ground and the Foley makes it sound like it's a bunch of driveway gravel or Lego bricks being dumped out of a bucket. Yeah, And I I love that. However, it does kind of take you out of it.
0: It Just just a little bit.
4: Yeah. It takes the the gravity, no pun intended, of the situation and and messes with you a little bit.
0: No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, there, There are a few moments where I think the models look good enough, but there are a few moments where, for whatever reason, they just don't seem to have the weight that you would normally see like in a Toho film or whatever when they get destroyed. There's also a lot of moments where the monster appears to be intentionally stepping over everything, like he doesn't want to break anything. Yeah, And I, I don't know why that was, other than they just, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the filmmakers were doing. So.
4: I will say during the commentary, one of the gentlemen that's on there, he is very familiar with Seoul, South Korea City. And he was able to identify where the monster was in the city by the miniatures. So there was some accuracy in the model building. And another interesting thing as an aside too, he talks about because he knows the geography of Seoul and where the monster is coming from. He may be reading too much into this, but the gentleman said that the monster is coming from the North, North Korea. Those were the aggressors during the Korean War. They still are. Mm-hmm. So the monster maybe it's representative of North Korea in that aspect. Interesting. True. I don't know. Have no clue. Something to think about,
0: huh? I didn't catch that, but that's that's interesting. Well, in all this back and forth, the bride and running around town, and the mother of the bride looking for the bride, and the monster picking up the bride, and then the the gambling duo. We meet our other hero. Yeah. And how this little kid who has snuck into. And it actually is the apartment of the bride. I mean, you can the same wallpaper, same bedroom set, same knickknacks on the countertops and all that. Uh, He snuck in because all those cowardly adults ran off. He can fight the monster with his sword and he's got this little knife and he's just going to be brave. And he's made himself a little picnic with all the food and house spread out on the the floor. Yeah. He's just having himself a little feast and he's this little homeless kid. You know, and he is one of our heroes.
4: He's got some attitude to him almost immediately. So you know he's going to be a handful from the yeah. very beginning. Wong Magui shows up at that apartment complex or that building and he goes to the top of the building that the kid does and sees him and does a runaway away. in fact kind of eggs him on and actually jumps on the monster and climbs up the monster.
0: That's awesome. I've never seen that before. That was great.
4: That was fantastic.
0: This kid climbs up the monster. He eventually gets into the monster's ear. And I was warned when this movie came out. Well, I won't say warned. I was alerted (laughs) that this movie takes a pretty sharp turn. That the movie starts for like the first 20 minutes or so. It's like, oh, it's a giant monster movie, whatever. And then it just goes off the rails. And with the gambling duo, I thought, okay, that's what they're talking about. No, this kid's man. No, <laughs> he he gets in the monster's head. He will start attacking the monster's eardrums. At one point, he says he's going to make the monster go blind. Fortunately, we never really see him go like behind the eyes and start stabbing the eyeball. A bit, a bit much. But he does do something else inside the monster's head, which I've never seen before. Well, he cuts through the eardrum. He walks through the ear.
4: He almost falls through his nose. Because he's walking through the sinuses. Uh-huh. Grabs grabs onto the monster's nares, his nose tears. Pulls himself back up. Crawls back into the monster's head. And urinates. And he tees in the monster's head. You showed me one other movie, one book, one <laughs> comic you show me anywhere where a kid crawls into a kaiju head, monster head. Not just urinates, but actually crawls into the head. But this kid, he drops trout and right in the monster's head. And while he's doing this, the camera is face front with the monster. You see the monster right there in full frame. And the monster has this look on his face like, uh, what is that? What's going on?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, well, you had mentioned that this movie does get a little scatological that that's, um, yeah. So we have the, the urine in the head and at another point, there's a, a scene and is it one of the gambling guys that is looking for the newspaper? No,
4: no, it's not This guy, that guy shows up in no other place. He shows up yeah. one scene. Well, I guess in a couple scenes, cause it's the same scene extended. He is shown no other time during the movie except when he's looking for a newspaper um, now we should probably put this in context between the kid peeing in the monster's head and what we're getting ready to talk about there is some monster uh, uh, demolition he's yeah. stomach people he's wreaking havoc and showing the Air Force flying around using stock footage They show more bride crying because her wedding is canceled uh, finally she realizes it's going to be canceled because the major or the captain of the Air Force calls for himself and says, I'm sorry, I can't let him come back home and marry you. And all this, and it shows this guy in an apartment building or, uh, it's just a building. Wong Magui attacks the building, or so he's nearby. This guy looks strained, like he's stressed. He's asking for a newspaper. You have no idea why. Um, this guy getting a shoe a shoe shine. A monster is attacking the city, and a guy is still getting a shoe shine. He's taking the time to do that. He, this guy getting the shoe shine leans over, punches the shoe shine guy in the face <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with almost a comedic sound effect. It almost sounded like when the little rascals hit somebody. Yeah, and the shoe shine guy just gets up and goes, Whoa. And the shoe shine. Recipient picks up the paper. The guy looking for the paper sees the guy with the newspaper, comes over and talks to him, grabs it. And the guy gives it to him, takes the newspaper over to a corner, and drops trap
0: It gets even better. It gets even because while this is happening, we are cutting to another person in here in the same crowd. A woman's about to give birth. Yes. Is there a doctor or a midwife here or whatever? And we, we are cutting back and forth between a guy using the bathroom in public on a pile of newspaper and a woman giving birth and it's just oh on my
4: it shows, it shows the woman's training to give birth then it shows the
0: guy's training to
4: do his thing do his thing and it, 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 it's, it goes back and forth she gives birth to the baby he is successful in his goal
0: <laughs> with his goal well, and they even have, like, when the baby starts crying, they cut back to the guy who's got this look of confusion on his face. Like, did I just do that? You know, just like, come on. <laughs> like, what's happening here?
4: And this is where it gets scatological. This is where my immature sense of humor comes out. The guy's look on his face as he's straining is comedic. It's almost Jerry Lewis comedic. Yeah. Yeah. It's exaggerated. They imagine your worst day on the toilet. That's <laughs> what yeah. this guy is having. And baby is born. He accomplishes his his mission, then the monster shakes the building and the guy falls back into his own boot.
0: Now we never see it. Like we don't actually see what he created, but um Oh. <laughs> uh, and then we, that's the last time we see the guy. Uh it's the to monster rampage. What what a what a bizarre flick, man it is uh but you know tell me where else you're gonna see that that's true yeah i've never seen it before or since i i don't think i'll ever see it again no
4: no um when i first watched this movie several months ago when it first came out i didn't know what to think of this and now i have i I respect this movie respect yeah respect this movie so much more Knowing some of the background, knowing that, yeah, they were kind of making it for kids, but kind of not. Uh, knowing the cultural issues as to why the film looks the way it is and why the budget was so low. But this really makes no sense at all. But this makes it so unique in that I am proud to have this in my collection now just because there is no other movie like this. And I will watch it again. This is not a one and done. I will watch this probably uh, once a year, once every couple of years going forward. Just because yep. it's so odd, so absurd, to use that word again.
0: It it is absurd. Everything from the the giving birth sequence to the little kid at one point holding on to the nostril hairs, and those are some pretty strong nostril hairs. I was I was impressed.
4: Yeah, and um, we, we didn't talk about after he does the, the first the membrane. <laughs> And he pees in the monster's head. Then he goes over to the other ear, cuts that eardrum, then he falls back into the head, almost falls out of the monster's nose again. And at this point he's actually falling he's hanging on a nose here outside the nose where he's essentially a human booger. Yep. You know, people are listening to this right now thinking,
2: You're making this up.
4: No, we're not making no. this up. I promise you we're not making this up. Absolutely not. This really happens. And he crawls back into the nose after so long. Did you notice though that as he's actually hanging from the nose hairs and it's showing the point of view of the camera pointing out the nose as the monster shaking his head, that the the view of the city shakes in relation to the monster's head? It actually it's synced up. How do you sync up that? How do you sync that up? I don't have any clue but there was at least some skill involved because it looks
0: pretty good. There's a lot of stuff in this that looks pretty good. There's that. There's a lot of the uh, forced perspective shots where you see the human-sized character and the monster in the same shot together. And I mean, we're sophisticated film viewers now. We know how stuff like that is accomplished. You, You put the human further away from the camera and the monster close to the camera and whatever to change the size and all that, but it looked clean Yeah, It looked really good. There's a lot of that. There are a few shots you talked about him hanging out the nose. When you see that, you know, it happens quick enough that you don't notice that maybe it didn't look as good as it did or as good as it could. But it still looks effective and it still works. At one point, he the the little boy does find like a control box or something on the back of the monster and holds on to it and, and starts pulling antennas and things out. And a cable comes loose, and he starts climbing down the, like, rappelling down the monster. And you see a shot of the monster with this little kid hanging on. Yeah. And it looked pretty decent, I thought. Not bad. Not bad. You know, one thing we forgot to mention
4: is that in the interim, we talked about lots of stuff that's happened so far, but we forgot to mention that at one point, on heat, the bride was picked up by the monster. That the bride and her mom were running down the street. They fell. And the the lead uh, female character was picked up by the monster, and the monster is still carrying her in his hand and carries her in his hand a la King Kong the, the entire movie after that.
0: Yep. Even if it looks like she probably should have been crushed a few times with all the things <laughs> that he's doing. Yeah. He's breaking stuff left and right and making fists and all that. Yeah, the continuity with the girl in his hand wasn't quite uh, adhered to. Roll, roll with it. You just got to roll with it. Uh, eventually, the little boy does end up in the hand with her. And I found it, I mean, cute, but also he was just in her apartment. And, <laughs> and at one point, I mean, he gives her food. She has a little pale touch to his belt, and he brought some of the food with him. He offers her some food. And at one point, she's just staring at this apple or tomato or whatever it was. And swear this movie would not have been out of line if the the woman was like this looks really familiar like just it had that uh, kind of vibe
4: i thought the exact same thing she recognizes that you know or that apple or whatever it was yeah i know um <laughs> but yeah uh and and the the hand that was constructed for them to lay in it doesn't look great but it's still it's manageable it's man sure i guess We haven't really talked a lot about the monster, what the monster looks like when it sits 400 feet tall. Imagine Heath Ledger's Joker, the mouth of the Joker, where it's really wide Hmm. with teeth, and this may not be accurate, feel free to change that if you want to. But imagine a very wide mouth with teeth pointing outward and a chronically protruding tongue. Uh, The monster's eyes are actually the actor's eyes in the costume they're not fake Uh, you can see the the eyes move around and it's a full body suit. You can't see any zippers. You can't see any buttons. You can't see the where they, they zipped him in there. So they did a good job hiding that, but it's a a full, almost like a, I guess, a diving suit that has been sprayed with black salt. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, his fingers, his hands—they uh, have pointy. He has pointy fingers, like almost like uh, tusks for fingernails. And his feet, when it shows his feet, <laughs> he, uh, how do you describe his feet? You can kind of tell that he's on lifts as he's stepping on cars and stuff. It shows that. And the there are three toenails that stick all straight up. They the so, look
0: like giant puffy slippers, like the way this one is constructed. <laughs> I mean, that's not what they are. It's all one piece, but they, they have that shape. Yes. <laughs> but it's not bad.
4: And, no. No, and as we're describing this, please I don't want people to think that we're making fun of this movie. We're not absolutely making fun of this. not. This this movie kinda of makes fun of so, itself It does. I'm off on another tangent. I'm kinda of with you in that I don't like it when people make fun of movies. I never watched Mystery Science Theater. 3000. I enjoy their comedy, but you know, I, I do watch it every now and then, or did watch it. I don't watch it for them to make fun of the movie. Sure, uh, I I'm a big fan of Monops just like you are. Not for the reasons most people are fans. I think it's legitimately creepy, and someone put their heart and soul into it, and I like it for what it is. Um, you mentioned the, the spaceship effects at the beginning of this movie. They're very Plan 9 from outer space. Yeah, and things. I love it. I I think it's fantastic. So I don't want anybody to to walk away from this, from hearing this, saying that we're making fun. We're not making fun. I actually have quite a bit of respect for this movie, knowing the lack of resources that they had and still pulled this off.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, there's no wrong way or right way to watch a movie or enjoy a movie. And if you like MST3K, awesome. But I, I do like to watch these movies straight. And I'm not laughing at the movie because of its shortcomings or inadequacies or whatever. I, I think there's a lot to enjoy about the movie and to explore about the movie. There are some things that are pretty absurd and pretty ridiculous. I know if I was making a movie, I probably wouldn't have included the, I would not have included the newspaper scene because that's just not how my brain works. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it 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 is what it is and it's part of the film. And um, yeah, I don't know what <laughs> else to say about that well well as on the commentary did say that 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 part
4: with the newspaper was probably put in there for the kids sure and i get that and it didn't really make me laugh i guess it kind of does not talking about it but in watching it's like what the
0: heck is what what <laughs> what is it i think my wife's getting tired of me saying over and over again whenever we watch movies like this what is happening because <laughs> yeah what is happening
4: <laughs> right. yeah. You're re-watching this when the, the kid pees in the monster's head uh, and it shows the monster's head where he has this silly look on his face. I laughed out loud. I had to pause the movie because I had never really noticed that before that the doc, that the, the monster looks like uh what, what is that? What's going on? <laughs> and one thing I do hope uh, about this episode of MKR is that where this monster movie is so unknown uh, that it people it still has the, the listenership that all the other ones do meaning that you know I hope people don't look at this and say well I've never heard of that one so I'm not going to listen to this one please listen to all this episode please watch this movie yeah um, isn't I it all think- be great you might walk away from it thinking this is the worst movie ever I don't think so Derek doesn't think so but we had fun with it that's the biggest thing the worst movie is sure. a boring movie. this movie was not boring except maybe for some of the comedy things that don't quite work but here's a list of five things five things and then this is not classic five but this is a five bullet point thing for people to pique their interest if they haven't been piqued already by what we've been talking about five things space alien kaiju who doesn't like a space alien kaiju either they're made by radio activity or they're they come from space and you can put me in front of a tv and say hey do you want to watch the English patient, which won a dozen Oscars? Or would you rather watch a space alien kaiju? I'm thinking space alien kaiju every day. Every day. And uh, again, the kaiju sinus invasion. You're not going to see that anywhere else. Never. Seriously. You will never see this in any other movie, unless someone copies it now. Uh, the low-budget ingenuity. They got around some of the low budget by doing some really good work. With the fourth perspective, there's that one scene where the monster is seen through that arc. I guess I think they call it the Independence Gate. It's like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Yes, uh, you see him walking, and at one point he fits in the opening of the arch. He expands as he walks closer. The perspective is he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Where he walks over it, that is one of the best scenes in the movie.
0: It was that really was
4: the true scale uh, of the monster.
0: When I first saw that scene, and I know you've got a list here, but if I would inter- interject. Yeah. When I first saw that, I thought it was another first force perspective shot. I thought it was another, okay, we found the real structure and we're just kind of positioning the monster in there to make him look like, no, when he approaches the camera and steps over it, we realize, oh, okay, it is a model, but holy cow, that means the monster is that big. So good model work. Absolutely. And the, the fourth
4: reason we talked about this, public emergency pooping. Where are you gonna see that? Nowhere else. Never. And then the fifth one, the fifth reason to watch this, just because it is so much fun. It changes tone so many times. And oftentimes when a movie changes tone, it takes you out of it. It, It's not enjoyable. Or this movie goes from somewhat serious kaiju demolition and destruction to some of the comedic elements, back to the destruction combined with some of the low-budget ingenuity, like I talked about, this movie was fun. Yeah. outright fun.
0: It really was. Towards the end of the movie, you know, the aliens, and I don't know if I want to really get too far into how it ends or anything like that, because I do want people to see this, and it is available on DVD still. I think the Blu-ray is all sold out, but you can stream it off Amazon, and you can watch it on Tubi. The, The DVD is still available as well, though, like I said, and I'll make sure there's links in the show notes, of course, 2 TV is a free streaming service. You'd have to put up the commercials, but you know, it's a free movie. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the end, but at one point the military its like, well, if this doesn't work, we'll just use nuclear weapons. Okay. When, when, when did South Korea just have nuclear weapons just sitting around ready to go in case of a giant monster attack? I mean, what?
4: Yeah. And that's one thing that they talked about in the commentary that they had no, they had none. They had zero.
0: At some point, I think the other world powers would be like, Hey, South Korea, what you got over there? <laughs>
4: and, uh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, the the Gamma aliens talk about, okay, if the monster doesn't work, then we'll just blast him with our, quote, well, rocket ray, which I guess is a nuclear bomb. I don't know. Right. So, in essence, if the military had to use nukes, they would have fulfilled the alien's mission, essentially. Yep.
0: True. True. I had a lot of fun watching this. I really did. I, I know it's absurd and kind of all over the place, and I, I'm not really a big... I'm not really known to be a big comedy kind of guy. You know, I, I like my movies a little bit more serious, that sort of thing. But this one is so absurd. It kind of crosses the line. It kind of doubles back for me. I just I This one, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a real blast watching it. I think the monster design, like you said, does hold up. I was a little worried the first time I watched this and we saw the quote unquote man-sized monster, where it just looked like a guy... Yeah, that, that does look pretty bad. That looks it looked cool. pretty bad. It's like this. Yes. Oh, I. Oh, this is not yeah. going to hold up. But First yes, we're very Plan Nine.
4: Yeah. i got that Plan Nine, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, it really does feel like that. It really does feel like that. And I respond well to that aesthetic. I love that retro 50 science fiction rocket ship design. I just think that's cool. I need to. And to, to see a different culture's take on it was really neat. I like the space. Uh, alien spacesuits. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were really neat looking too. I I could see some action figures of those guys. You know, that would be fun.
4: There's no utilitarian function at all to them. It looks like like they're wearing milk jugs on their head. But, you know, still, they're not playing at all. And if you'll notice too, I'm watching this last night or a couple nights ago, the machinery on board the alien ship looks like it's from Dr. Seuss. If you remember Dr. Seuss books where it shows gadgets and machinery that has loopy hoses, odd knobs, buttons, weird looking microphones. If you look at the machinery on their ship, it looks like Dr. Seuss designed their machinery. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Another thing I just love about this.
0: I, I do wonder what films they had like, or what media they had access to from the West when they were putting this together. Uh, We talked about this being one of the the first big science fiction monster epics or whatever they did over there. And no, I'm sure they didn't get Star Trek over there or anything like that at that point when they were putting this together. But what science fiction of ours did they see and take inspiration from? Dr. Seuss, man, I I didn't even think about that, but you're right. looking at how that ship was designed, you know, the interior of it.
4: I, I doubt that they have increased normal pursuits thought. You know, they would make a good control panel. I doubt they actually thought that. But uh, the only thing you mentioned, I wonder what they had access to King Kong, obviously. I mean, King Kong, oh, yeah. you know, mentioned in the movie two times. Mm-hmm. The actual script in, includes King Kong being mentioned. Uh, so there is nothing happenstance by that. That was deliberate, for sure.
0: That's true. They, they mentioned King Kong, but they never mentioned Godzilla, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they just kind of odd.
4: They don't mention anything else either, just King Kong. No other movies, no other, they can mention other sci-fi. Just King Kong.
0: But I had a blast watching it. This, this was fun.
4: I, I want to make it clear that I did not buy this as a bribe beyond the, the show.
0: Oh, not <laughs> that Absolutely well, not. I think this might have been my idea. I
4: watched this several months ago, I thought, i got Get this for Derek. Because if I, if I didn't get it for you at the time, it was not streaming on TV. It was only available via the Blu-ray. And even VHS, they put out 50 VHS tapes of this.
0: Oh, did they really? <laughs>
4: they did. It. And those sold out, I think, I'm not sure. But I really wanted you to, to cover it on your show just because it was so unusual. You have never covered anything quite like this one before, as we talked about. And I just wanted to hear the discussion because there was no one I can have a, a discussion with uh, about this movie with just because no one else, unless they knew me and came over and watched it with me, they wouldn't see it. And I have heard another uh, podcast or two kind of cover this movie, but they tore it to pieces. They really talked about how awful it was and Mm -hmm. the low budget, how it really is horrible and that the comedy wasn't funny and the script makes no sense. That's not the purpose of this. You have carried this torch now for what, 10 years, 10 years now? Yeah. I had to listen to all 627 episodes, I think, as of this
0: recording. I think. Don't. I always have to double check. (laughs) Maybe.
4: It's because you talk about these movies, no matter what their deficiencies are, there's always a saving grace, uh, at least one saving grace for every movie. And I wanted this to uh, get its time on your show and your spot.
0: And, and like I said, I, I didn't view it as a bribe either. I really did. I think it might have been me that suggested having you on to do this. And uh, I just double-checked. Go to store.com and they actually have a section of Kaiju Films. So when you go straight to their website, it's got some of their slasher movies and things like that, including something called Puppet Shark, which I'm dying to see now.
4: Uh, well, <laughs> well, there's there's a trailer
0: on the Blu-ray. <laughs> But they have a nice toho, or not toho, but toku kaiju section, uh, 11 pages of just weird kaiju films that I had never even heard of, except for the ones that I have ordered for myself already. Things like uh, Monster Seafood Wars. Just there is some really interesting kaiju stuff still happening today over in japan not just the big stuff i know the new godzilla trailer just dropped you know godzilla minus one and i can't wait for that i hope somebody picks it up here in the states because i really want to see it but there's some really interesting low budget stuff happening as well uh this movie space monster wang magui and that's probably the first time i've actually said it in this recording uh <laughs> i really did rely on roger to get it out um <laughs> this one is not one of these ones that like you said it's not a one and done i'm gonna go back i'm gonna rewatch this one I think there's some neat stuff here. Uh, If nothing else, just I kind of want to watch stuff happening in the background even more so I can kind of maybe glean a little bit more from the history of where South Korea was historically. I mentioned at the beginning of this that you can still see some Americanisms in there. The way the military is presented is very American. Uh, You've got the American flag in the background, which I found fascinating. Some of the pop culture stuff seeping in. Uh, the, The stock footage of the Republic of Korea Air Force... It was swapped. It was mirror-imaged. But other than that, it looks fine. Just really neat. I I found parts of this movie to be really neat. And a lot of it was really absurd. But some of it was really neat. And I had a blast watching it. And I was happy to have you on to talk about it. And we'll have to have you on again.
4: Oh, I would love to. I would love to. One thing about the uh, American presence in the film, there was still a significant American presence in Korea at the time. In fact, my dad was in the Air Force in Korea when this was made. Oh, wow. Okay. So I just thought about that. I have to call him and tell him, hey, here's a movie that was made back when you were in Korea. Uh, did you see this by any chance? i uh,
0: have to ask him about this. Did you see a movie where a little boy piece on a monster's head death? Where a guy takes a dump in a building in front of people? <laughs> oh, man. We didn't even talk about the monster's death ray, and it's, it's like- got this beam that comes out of its head. And that started happening shortly after the pee scene.
4: Yeah, that's right. He It's like he gets mad because the kid pees in his head. So he, he opens the spout in his head and he blows out what is like a napalm. Yeah. And it hits buildings and the buildings melt and catch on fire. We forgot about that. I can't believe we forgot about it. Well, there's a lot in this movie. So, so the monster just doesn't tear stuff up and, and kick stuff down and step on people. That poor old man that he steps on, uh, oh, that the the horrible. <laughs> he, he sprays this corrosive napalm-like liquid and catches everything on fire around him. Oh, but it looks so low budget because you can see the little nozzle and the stuff that sprays out, but oh, it's so fun.
0: Oh, it's it's a blast. I got to thank SRS Cinema for digging this one or getting the rights to do it.
4: Absolutely, and and on the Blu-ray, it talks a little about how they got the rights, sort of, kinda. Um, apparently this was shown at the korean film Archive uh only for several years starting in the 2000s and that's how some people were able to see it you could not see this unless you were in korea when the korean film archive was showing this
3: mm-hmm. and
4: through friends uh the guy that owns srs i mean we're not being paid by srs cinema
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not
4: uh, we're just they're the ones that put this out so we they deserve the credit he just kept bugging them until they came back and said okay yeah go ahead this is seeing a very unique film that has not been seen by a majority of people. Uh, I have a lot of nerd geek film nerd friends. They have never even heard of this. The only way I heard of it was through some friends who uh, are tremendous kaiju fans. And it's been mentioned in previous books. There's a book, the encyclopedia of Monsters" by Jeff Roven. I think it was mentioned in, Uh, but in relation to Yungary, so I have to admit that after I watched this, I had to go back and watch John Curry again. I like this movie better. Really? I did? I do.
0: Wow. Uh, but I, I tend to be uh, the the one that
4: supports the underdogs, too. Yeah. So, uh.
0: Yeah, I didn't know anything about this movie uh, until it was mentioned on Facebook. I mean, you mentioned it, of course, but I'm also friends with one of the person who does publicity for SRS Cinema, and he oh, mentioned okay. it on his page. Oh. So yeah and i saw that and i i kind of want his job <laughs>
4: that would be a, a supremo job no doubt yeah
0: that's one of the things that i love about doing Bots kid radio too is to kind of find the movies that probably don't have the spotlight on them as as much as i'd like and this is what i'd like to shine a little bit more of a spotlight on and again it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't sent me that copy a while back uh it's definitely one of my favorite movies that i've acquired uh one way or the other. <laughs> Uh, over the past several years, so I really appreciate that, man. I really do.
4: Oh, absolutely. It's the least I could do for all these episodes I've listened to over the years.
0: That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of the show. I really appreciate you checking us out and downloading and listening and being part of the fun that we have here on MKR. I'm over 600 episodes into this thing and I'm still having a blast every week putting this show together i've been doing this for over a decade now and i don't see myself stopping anytime soon especially when we have so many amazing movies to talk about and so many amazing people to talk with so thank you to everybody who's been part of the show during kai july and just in general i appreciate you also i appreciate every one of you who retweet tweets and share posts on facebook and contribute to monster kid radio's community online whether it's on twitter or facebook or discord or Reddit, or Patreon, I just really appreciate everybody who's involved. So thank you. I couldn't do what I do without you. Check out what we do over at monsterkidradio.net. There you're going to find links to, well, all of our social media outlets that I just mentioned a second ago, as well as our contact information. If you want to be part of the show and send some feedback in, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can drop me a line by calling our voicemail at 360 524 24 8, 4. I'd love to know what you thought about Kai July. I'd love to know what you thought about, well, anything that we've talked about on the previous 628 episodes or so of MKR. I'd love to hear from you and make you part of an upcoming episode. Speaking of upcoming episodes, next week we're going to be dipping into some of the recordings that have been sent to me by listener Mike Ramsey. Mike is a longtime listener of the show. He's a friend of the show, and he goes to Monster Bash a heck of a lot more than I do, because well, I think he's closer than I am out here on the West Coast to that amazing convention. I do plan on going back someday in the future, but in the meantime, I have to live vicariously through the recordings provided by Mike Ramsey. Mike records a lot of the Q&As, and I am currently going through a Q&A with Lynn Lagosi Sparks. Yes, the granddaughter of the great Bela Lagosi was in attendance at this past summer's Monster Bash, she did a Q&A. Mike has the recording. So that's what you're going to get next week. I'm excited for this. I'm only a few minutes into the recording myself as I go through and try to clean up the audio, and wow, it's just so cool to hear from her, and I can't wait to share that with you next week on the show. Thanks, Mike, for sending that in. I'm not sure what else is coming up in the month of August. I've got a few things spitted, a few plates whirling around. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I- I've got some pretty exciting plans for mkr including the return of the monster kid radio movie question trivia quiz showdown throwdown hoedown whatever we're going to call it over on twitch so if you want to be part of that make sure that you are a five dollar or higher patron over on our patreon.com slash monster kid radio page and you can be part of that there are prizes there's trivia questions there's a lot of fun to be had we had a lot of fun when we did it last time i can't wait to do it again Later this month, it'll be happening on a Sunday, probably about 1 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific. Stay tuned for more details on that. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no Derivatives 3.0, unported license, except the song Space Surfin'. That is copyright 2023 surfosaurus you can find it on their album dynamite over at surfosaurus.bandchem.com or follow the link in the show notes they gave us permission to play the music here on the show and i am just thrilled because i dig it man it's a really cool album my name is sarah kim cook i'll talk to everybody next week ciao